On December 8, 1777, when the skirmishes at White Marsh are coming to a close, it's well past time for Washington's army to go into winter quarters. Although it may seem quaint today, winter weather and the rigors of winter campaigning were avoided. Supply is complicated by the cold, and the rigors of winter campaigning are difficult on the health and poorly clothed and poorly nourished soldiers. Even before his shoeless, shirtless, and blanketless soldiers trudged to Valley Forge, General Washington was under savage attack by critics in Congress and the upper ranks of his army. More and more people concluded it was time to replace this fallen idol with a more reliable and experienced general. However, Washington never loses sight of his goal, which is not a petty personal triumph over his adversaries, but the rescue of his army. The defining moments of the Revolutionary War will not occur on the various battlefields, but at Valley Forge. Washington must wage a secondary war against the slander of his reputation as a general and a patriot. Good afternoon. I am thankful for this opportunity once again to meet with Congress. I know several of the congressional delegates from various uh, states have wanted me to share some of my personal stories about the Revolutionary War. I had an opportunity to speak to Congress on the Battle of Trenton, crossing of the Delaware on Christmas Day of 1776. That was something that will be in my memory until the day that God takes me. But another memorable uh, event of the Revolutionary War is what happened at Valley Forge. As far as I can tell, Valley Forge was a miracle as much as crossing the Delaware River was a miracle in 1776. Approximately one year after our victory at Trenton, my army had increased to about 12,000 men. We were still in need of supplies, shoes, shirts, uh, anything that Congress could send us would help my troops. Many of my troops still did not have shoes. Now, granted, the victory that took place at Trenton, we had an opportunity to remove from the Hessian soldiers uh, a gift from them as far as clothing. But a year now has passed, and a lot of the clothing that we retrieved at the victory uh, at Trenton uh, once again has deteriorated uh, in the various battles that have been fought since then. Once again, after our victory at Princeton, we have lost two major battles this past September. Now we are on the run again from the most probably powerful infantry that General Gates and General Warren Cornwallis has brought forth. His army now has increased to close to 50,000 infantry soldiers. There's no way my small uh, army of 12,000 men, or should I say young boys, can take on such a powerful unit as Lord Cornwallis and General Gates. It is my desire, therefore, at that point uh, with our army, that we need to go into winter quarters. Very few armies engage in combat in the winter. I've decided to choose, at that point, Valley Forge as our winter headquarters for the Continental Army. The problem is this, 
every one of my generals, practically everyone in Congress, decided that Valley Forge was not appropriate and that there was no way that we could protect Valley Forge from any type of activity from uh, Great Britain, who was stationed 18 miles away in Philadelphia. But divine providence made it very clear to me, Valley Forge was the geographical area that we needed to establish our winter headquarters. 12,000 men has marched in to Valley Forge. Approximately 9,000 of those men will march out. We lost 2,000 men from disease, measles, mumps, chickenpox. Uh, a lot of these young men could not sustain the disease brought about from other men from different states uh, coming into our, our camp. The problem was this. We had a cure for uh, smallpox, and most of my troops were inoculated for smallpox. And that would be a plague that could wipe out a whole army. But it wasn't smallpox that created the devastating death rate at Valley Forge. It was measles, it was mumps, flies, ticks, bed bugs, lice abounded with the soldiers at Valley Forge. When we marched into Valley Forge on the 1st of December of 1777, Valley Forge, number one, was not a valley. Number two, it was not a forge. It was just a name given to that series uh, of areas, approximately 28 miles uh, in circumference. Close to Philadelphia that we could monitor the British movements outside of Philadelphia and far enough away from Philadelphia that if Lord Cornwallis decided to attack us, we would know ahead of time what was going to happen. So as far as I was concerned, Valley Forge was very important for our winter headquarters in the winter of 1777. Toward the end of December, once again, like at the Battle of Trenton, we had a period of warm weather, and then toward the week that we started to build our cabins at Valley Forge, the weather dropped into the 30s, and it started to snow. Now, that might not really have anything to do with a soldier that was properly dressed with proper clothing and shoes and a hat and shirts and a coat, but to an army of young men that had none of that, the cold weather and the snow was devastating. It was very urgent that I get my 12,000 men sheltered. So I offered a reward, 100 bucks, $100 in colonial currency to the first regiment that had all their cabins built. Now, there was enough lumber in the area that they could build a thousand cabins, and that's what we did. Each cabin was 16 feet by 14 feet, buried into the ground approximately three feet into the ground to protect from the weather. It would have a roof 
on the cabin and a fireplace at the end of one side of the cabin. And then the other end, of course, will be the door. Once all these cabins were built by the 1st of January, all my troops would no longer be exposed to the weather, at least at night when they went into their cabins, and they would have some warmth. The main problem at Valley Forge, there were two areas that we need to discuss. The first problem was a coup d'etat. The second problem was supply. The supply of beef, the supply of vegetables, the supply of bread, flour, wheat, and oats all became a problem at Valley Forge. The roads impassable many places, but then to go to the various supply depots and then with wagons bring the supplies to Valley Forge was a nightmare. The roads deplorable, mud, rain, snow, the wagon wheels would get stuck in the mud. So what supplies that we do receive at Valley Forge, many of them would be spoiled by the time they reached our encampment. We'll talk about that in a few moments. The number one problem at Valley Forge was a coup, a coup d'etat, a military takeover of me and my army. As in all armies, there's jealousy. As in all aspects of society, there's jealousy. People get jealous of maybe a leader. People get jealous of somebody they think has more power than they should have. And basically, this is the problem that we had at Valley Forge. I had two generals, General Orosha Gates, who was the victor at Saratoga, and General Lee, who thought of himself as a better general than yours truly. And so these two generals come together and they begin to write letters to President Lawrence of the Continental Congress, and they begin to present letters to other congressmen, and then they started to spread rumors all through the troops that yours truly, General George Washington, was not fit to lead the Continental Army, that General Washington needs to be replaced, that General Washington needs to be ousted. And this was the greatest battle that I had to fight at Valley Forge. It was not the food. It was not supplies. It was not clothing, although those were a part of Valley Forge. It was not the death rate of disease, whereas we lost close to 2,000 men because of disease. We lost close to 3,500 horses that died. And how do you bury a horse or a body in ground that is frozen with a wooden shovel? You don't. And so we started to stack up the bodies of the horses. We started to stack up the bodies of our soldiers because we could not place them in the ground. So all around surrounding Valley Forge were large piles of our soldiers and our dead horses. But that was not near the problem that I had to face at Valley Forge. The problem was the coup. 
these jealous generals and men that wanted to replace me because they felt that I was the worst general that the Continental Army could ever have. Yes, he had, he had his victories at Trenton. Yes, General Washington had his victory at Princeton. But for the last two years of this war, those are the only two victories that General Washington had. Well, as far as I'm concerned, those were the two victories that were important. But not according to these two generals that want to overtake me. And so the rumor started, we have to replace General Washington with a coup. And it started to spread all through Congress. Even the president of Congress, Lawrence, who was replaced, of course, or he, was, he replaced John Hancock. Now, John Hancock was an ally. John Hancock stood up for me along with John Adams, but not Samuel Adams. And do you know what hurt the most? Benjamin Rush, our doctor for the troops. Dr. Benjamin Rush, along with Hiroshio Gates and General Lee, was responsible to try to get me removed from the Continental Army. You probably did not know that. This reminded me a lot of uh, Dr. Church. And you remember in 1776, Dr. Church, who was my own personal physician, worked with my secret service in an assassination attempt. And it almost worked if it had not been for a young lady who got word to me that my life was in danger. And then she came into my camp and I talked to her one-on-one -on -one, and she came over and she whispered into my ear the name of the number one traitor that wanted my assassination. And do you know what that name was? Dr. Church. Dr. Church. My physician, Dr. Church. I had him arrested immediately. I turned him over to a board of inquiry. It was out of my hands. At the end, of course, Dr. Church was banned. He should have been executed. But we did have the soldier of my secret service, my number one secret service guard, tried to assassinate me. I had him hung. And I gathered together all the soldiers, 10,000 at that time, and people from New York, and we gathered around the gallows. And I made my speech. And I said, this is what will happen to anyone else that's involved in treason and trying to assassinate not only yours truly, but our cause for freedom from tyranny of taxation without representation to do away and to give us our freedoms as a country. But now I have the same problem at Valley Forge. Oh, I wish it were the food. I wish it would have been supplies. I wish that Valley Forge would have been the weather. I wish that Valley Forge would have been the problem of trying to get supplies into our military encampment. 
But that was not the number one problem at Valley Forge. It was a coup d'etat. Behind my back, wanting to replace me, wanting to destroy the cause. And then those who would have taken my place would have sued for peace with the British government. And we would have lost everything. Thousands of young men, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old young lads would have sacrificed their life for nothing if we would have sued for peace. We have to finish this revolution, I said. It has to come to a conclusion. And we, under the guidance of divine providence, as David with Goliath, have to walk forth victorious. Once I find out that there was a plot of a coup to take me out, I immediately went into action. I notified John Hancock and John Adams and some of the allies that I did have in the Continental Congress. And they in turn notified their allies all across the 13 colonies. Finally, a letter was intercepted that was written by Horatio Gates. Now remember, he was the hero of the Battle of Saratoga. That's why everybody thought that he would be a better general than me to carry on. But he wanted to sue for peace with the Red Lobster Backs. I intercepted a letter. The letter was given to me. It was in code. I had certain men that could break codes. It was written in invisible ink. It was decoded by my men that knew codes. And basically the letter was the downfall of General Gates, General Lee, and Edward Miffin in this coup, a coup d'etat. They wanted the entire army against me to take over and then sue for peace. The letter was intercepted. The letter was given to me. The letter was decoded, even with, with invisible ink. And the outcome of that letter was a clear state of exactly what was the intent of General Gates and General Lee on replacing me at Valley Forge. Valley Forge will stand in the annals of our American history as a miracle. A great miracle alongside of the miracle at the Battle of Trenton. A miracle that divine providence has given to the United States of America. We were victorious at Trenton because of divine providence. We were victorious at Princeton because of divine providence. And we came forth out of Valley Forge victorious because of divine providence. We entered with 12,000 men. We leave Valley Forge in June with less than 9,000.
But we were an army. And now we were strong. And because of Baron von Steuben, who trained my young men how to march and how to shoot their weapons in less than 15 seconds, and load and reload, how to use the bayonet, how to go into formation, because of von Steuben, those 9,000 men come out of Valley Forge and they were strong. And they knew exactly what they had to do to defeat the armies of Great Britain. I'd like to conclude with these thoughts. At the end of the Second Continental Congress, men were arguing among one another. They really didn't know what to do. You had the southern states that had slaves. You had the northern states that did not believe in slavery. You had both of these fractions coming together, not knowing how to get this settled. But it had to be voted on in the Articles of Confederation, which eventually becomes the Constitution of the United States of America, had to be dealt with. Benjamin Franklin stands up. He basically says this, if a sparrow does not fall from heaven without divine providence knowing about it, then surely a nation comes into existence without the power and the knowledge of a divine providence God. And that's true. We came into existence through the power of Jehovah God. We remained in existence for 130 years because of God. And if America is ever to continue as a great nation, it will be because of our faith and our belief in Jehovah God. Because if we ever lose that, then God will remove his hand from our nation and we will fall. We will fall not from without. We will collapse, implode from within. That's exactly what happened to Rome. That's exactly what happened to the Assyrian Empire. That's exactly what happened to all the empires. They didn't fall from outside. They were destroyed from inside. Thank you for listening to George Washington on Valley Forge. And there will be many more stories to come about our great history and how God has intervened in our history. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Living History with Ken Hammontree. Stay tuned for more upcoming episodes and new historical figures and characters, all represented by Ken himself, brought to life right here on Living History, where history comes alive.